Let's begin with a word of prayer, shall we? Lord, may you grant us the understanding. May you grant us, dear Lord, your, your understanding of what truly grace is. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, what is grace? John Wesley's definition, okay, it's a bit heavy, but just hear me out here, okay? John Wesley defined grace as God's bounty or favour, His free, undeserved favour. Man having no claim to the least of His mercies. It was, free, it was free grace that formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into him a living soul and stamped on that soul the image of God and, pull, and put all things under his feet. For there is nothing we are or have or do which can deserve the least things at God's hand. Well, if, it is, if this is a bit too heavy, there's a shorter version, okay? It's taken from the book of Discipline. And it's simply, the def- definition is this. It is the undeserved, unmerited, and loving action of God in human existence through the ever-present Holy Spirit. See, God, grace is God's presence to create, heal, to forgive, to reconcile and transform human hearts to transform communities and also to transform the entire creation. Wherever God is present, there is grace. Grace brought creation into existence. Grace birthed human beings, bestowed on us the divine image, redeemed us in Jesus Christ and is is ever transforming the whole creation into the realm of God's reign of compassion, justice, generosity, and peace. Okay, I'm just going to leave you a little while just to digest this a little bit. It's a, it's a handful. But this is grace. But what is grace for? And this is where we turn to the scripture passage for today, taken from the third chapter in Romans, beginning from verse 22 to 24. And it reads, that we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, for everyone has sinned. We have all, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in His grace, freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of our sins. So grace basically makes us right in the sight through Jesus Christ who freed us from our sins. We are therefore made right because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins. We are reconciled with the Father because Jesus has made payment to redeem us from the penalty of eternal death. But what about the other grace mentioned in the book? The author James Harnish used the road to Emmaus as an illustration to explain the Lord's Supper as the means of grace. But I will, however, attempt to use the entire story okay, uh, for this road to Emmaus to explain all the grace, okay, beginning with prevenient grace. So let's take a look at what happened, what really happened at the walk to Emmaus. Luke 24, verse 13 begins. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things, 
Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Clopas, replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem that hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there in in the last few days. What things? Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and they crucified him. What we have hoped that he was the Messiah who had to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see and sure enough, his body was gone. Just as the women had said, And how can prevenient grace be explained in this story? But first, let us explore first the book of discipline. Um, It can help us on this definition. And on Article 8, it says that it it is described that the condition of man after the fall of Adam is such that he cannot turn and prepare himself by his own natural strength and work to faith and calling upon God. Wherefore, we have no power to do good works pleasant and acceptable to God without the grace of God by Christ preventing us. By Christ preventing us. What was Christ preventing us from? Perhaps Christ is preventing us from falling into sin or Christ preventing us from making the incorrect choice or preventing us from choosing and going in the wrong direction. Prevenient grace is also known as preventing grace. And perhaps Jesus' appearance to Clopas was to turn them around. On their own, they would not be able to understand and turn back toward Jerusalem. It would be their natural instinct to run away from the persecution, to run away from the troubles. It would be ours too. We would also run away from our troubles. But... It is through the grace of God that we learn to turn toward Christ, toward His work, to participate in Christ's good work. And Clopas and his companion, they did just that. They turned back toward Jerusalem where the trouble is and shared with the disciples, the 11 disciples of of their encounter with Jesus. They shared with them about their experience with Jesus. You know, this this experience and this this thing that they, they did not only built up their own faith, but they helped to give assurance to the 11 disciples that Jesus is alive. And this is the very good work that we should be all participating. The proclamation that Jesus is alive. The sharing of our encounter and experience with Jesus, and that is the good work we should be engaging in. 
All this can only be achieved by the prevenient grace of God. Prevenient grace represents that the love of God is already at work in our lives long before we learn how to respond in commitment to to Jesus. And that includes infants. It does not matter how young or little we are. God is already at work in us. It doesn't matter how sinful we are. God is already at work in us. God is at work actively in all our lives. That is really exciting. Even as I say this, I hope you feel it, that He is already, he's still he is at work now with you and in you. Prevenient grace means that God meets us where we are before even we have made a decision to follow Jesus. Why did Jesus appear to Clopas and his companion? Why was it so important for Jesus to appear to Clopas and his companion while they were on their way to Emmaus? Perhaps what Jesus did was a good expression or example of prevenient grace. Jesus met Clopas and his companion while they were still on the road in the wrong direction eh? to Emmaus before they have even made any decision to turn back to Jerusalem to do his work. Jesus was there to help them understand and turn back to the right direction. Have you met Jesus? Or perhaps Jesus has already appeared to you but you have yet to recognize Him. Moving on to justifying grace. But let us turn back first to the road to Emir's story. And Jesus continues to say, You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the Scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering His glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he was going on. But they, they begged him, Stay the night with us since it is getting late. So he went home with them. And as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly, their eyes were open, and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they rushed back, okay, and on all the way to Jerusalem, there they found the eleven disciples and the others who had gathered with them, who said, The Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. The way to salvation leads to justifying grace or converting grace. It is God's undeserved love and forgiveness at the cross that makes things right in our relationship with God and draws us into a new life in Christ. You know, many of Charles Wesley hymns express the shock and, exp- and surprise of the awareness 
of God's grace at the cross. Clopas and his companion were both brought into awareness as their eyes were opened and they recognized Jesus. I believe that they were shocked and surprised too. Perhaps they too had experienced a conversion. They had encountered converting grace. They have entered into justifying grace. Justifying grace is the doorway of the house. God's justifying grace declares us safe, restores us to right relationship with God, and enables us to begin this lifelong journey of restoring the tarnished image of God within us. The tarnished image of God within us. Truly so, the image of Christ for both Clopas and his companion were tarnished and requires restoration. Their understanding of the image of Christ within them was reduced to mere prophets who performed powerful miracles and great teachings. Their image of God was tarnished. Their image of God was also incomplete. For them to become a representative of God in us, they must first correct their own understanding of who God is. How can we be ambassadors of Christ when we do not know who Christ really is? Others others will not believe that Jesus is God unless we ourselves are convinced and convicted that Jesus is God. Who is God to you? Is he merely a prophet or a great teacher? If we continue to sin deliberately, lying, cheating, pornography, etc., and we are aware that God is watching us, so what really is the image of God within us? Is he really God to us? Or is he just a mere idol that sits at some corner and he only comes into focus on Sundays? Perhaps you haven't really understood who God is. And perhaps you have not understood what is his grace for. And perhaps you have not understood what justifying grace means. You know, justifying grace can occur in different ways and for, for different people. It may happen in one transforming moment, as in a response to an altar call, uh, or it may involve a series of decisions across some time. It may take some time for some to understand that we are forgiven, we are redeemed, and we are caught to a new life through the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross. If we have received His grace, then show Him your transformation. But you know what? Grace doesn't stop there. We don't just get saved and then sit around waiting to go to heaven. The next step is what Wesley called sanctifying grace. 
It is a continuing process by which the grace of God shapes us into the likeness of Christ. All the way from here to heaven. Grace is the love of God that never quits. It is grace that brought us this far. It is grace that will lead us home. Sanctifying grace is like walking into the house. When we enter the house of sanctifying grace, which empowers us for holy living, we begin a lifelong journey of works of restoring the full reflection of God's image within us. You know, the, the road to Emmaus is a, is a very good example to describe sanctifying grace. Clopas and his companion had just embarked on their mission to restoring and correcting the image of God, both within themselves and also to the other 11 disciples. Let's go back to the story of Emmaus. Then the two of them from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. I'm going to, as I read on the next few passages, I want you to spot some continuation. There's a, there's a repeat in a cycle. Okay? And verse 36 went on to say, And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Again, Jesus appeared. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened? he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I am not a ghost. Because ghosts don't have bodies. As you see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still, they stood there in disbelief. Could you believe that? Filled with joy and wonder though. Then he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he ate it as they watched. Then he said, When I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds again. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that the message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all nations, to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. And maybe that's why it's so important that they remain in Jerusalem. And maybe that's why Clopas and his companion have to turn back to Jerusalem because there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. Do you see the entire process again? Repeating again? Prevenient grace. Jesus met them at where the disciples were. But the disciples have to make their own decision to follow Christ. What was their response? They were started frightened and in disbelief. So what is our mission in God's work, you and me? Well, I think it's rather similar to Clopas, and perhaps, in a way, like John the Baptist. In a way, 
But imagine what would be the response of the disciples if Clopas and his companions did not first appear to the 11 disciples to tell them that Jesus has risen. What do you think would be the disciples' reaction if Clopas didn't prepare the way and prepare their heart? I believe they will shout, Kuya! or ghost, okay? And then ran off. Perhaps our roles, like Clopas and his companion, are to prepare the ground and perhaps prepare the way for Christ to enter into the hearts of the people. Perhaps by sharing about Christ, we are preparing the hearts of people to receive Jesus. God has allowed us this wonderful privilege to help in His mission by simply sharing about Him so that others will not be shocked or frightened or in disbelief when Christ finally appears to them. There is also other ways for us to prepare others to receive Jesus, and that is through baptism. Baptism, baptism is seen as a means of grace by which the Spirit of God is at work to give us a clean heart. No, we have old sins, we have old habits, old attitudes, old hurts, old prejudices, old ways of thinking and living that needs to be washed away. If we truly want to find God, we need to wash all this away. We need a clean heart. However, to have a clean heart, we need the Holy Spirit to be in us. We need to attain the Holy Spirit. Perhaps that may be the reason why Clopas and his, and his disciples were asked to stay in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills them with power from heaven. To attain a clean heart, we need the Holy Spirit. And baptism is the means of grace for the Spirit of God at work to give us that clean heart. And maybe that's the reason why Clopas and the disciples have to stay at Jerusalem. You know, every time when we celebrate the sacrament of baptism in worship, we are not, we are not merely calling people to remember an event in the past. We are inviting every single one of us to remember who we are as disciples of Jesus. We have been marked by the sign of Jesus and God's grace in baptism. We are urging everyone to remember that their own baptism is the continuing work and gift of God's forgiveness and love that's always available to wash away our sins. You know that we indicated the ongoing work of grace when we pray together during the baptism service. We say this, pour out your Holy Spirit to bless this gift of water and those who receive it to wash away their sin and clothe them in righteousness throughout their lives, that dying and being raised with Christ, they may share in His final victory. The, continuing, the continuous work, ten, no, present, continuous present tense in the verbs wash, clothe, describes the ongoing work of God's grace throughout our lives. And there is another means of grace that will help us to remember God, uh, Jesus' grace, God's grace for us, and that is communion. You know, the dinner party at Emmaus reminds us that the primary focus of the sacrament is not our sins, but 
God's grace. It is not so much a time of mourning you know, because of how bad we are as in, you know, as it is a time of giving thanks of how good God is. Jesus, whose body was broken and whose blood was shed for us on the cross, is the risen Christ and who is alive and walks on the road with us. And we, like the first disciples, can come from the table saying, want our hearts on fire. Want our hearts on fire. Communion is not only a celebration, but a reminder that Jesus is alive. And the promise that the risen Christ is waiting to celebrate new life with us. In the same way, Clopas and his, and his companion were reminded as their eyes were open and they recognized Jesus. May our eyes also be open each time we come forward to celebrate communion, to recognize, to realign our lives you know, if we have gone astray, to continue in the likeness of Jesus within us. In summary, we have talked about prevenient grace, justifying grace, sanctifying grace, and both baptism and communion as a means of grace. But I believe the key message for today is who is God to us? Is, it the, is the image of God tarnished within us? Do you need to restore the image of God within you? And the best way to know if you have been out of grace is simple. Ask yourself, are you still in sin? You know, you can be serving in church, you can be leading in church, but you can still live in sin. If you are in sin, the image of God is tarnished within you. And I do hope that after service, if you would, come forward and we can pray along with you to restore the image of God within you. And now to talk to, I'm going to speak to another group of people. You know, you may have lost your heart. You may have lost your motivation. You may have lost your, the meaning, the meaning in life, the meaning of coming to church. Hence, you do not want to do anything. Every week you come to church, you simply sit at one corner and right after service, you just want to get over and get out of here. I am speaking to many of you and I believe that you know who you are. But let me tell you this. Your image of God is also tarnished and you need to be restored. And to those, if you are like Clopas, you have begun proclaiming that Jesus is alive and heading in the right direction, I thank you because we need disciples of Christ like you. I'm going to ask you one question. Are we disciples of Christ? We are, right? If we are disciples of Christ, the very basic way to know Jesus is through prayer. You know, Clopas and his companion, they did not recognize Jesus and yet they communicated with Jesus who was a stranger to him. You see, this is what a church is supposed to be. We are supposed to be praying for one another. This is a church. 
a church that prays for one another. You know, earlier in the earlier service, this lady came up to me. She said, for the past 62 years, she has never prayed with another person. And that experience that she did during service was the first time and she was in tears. She was touched by the Lord. 62 years, she has never prayed for another person before. For some of you, it may be your first time. But I wanted to show you that Jesus is risen and He is alive. No one can touch anyone unless they are alive because Jesus is alive and that's why He can touch us. And there's power in prayer. There's power coming together. There's power as we commune together. As disciples of Christ, when we correct the image of God within us, we can help one another to do so. There is power. Let's pray. Lord, I really thank you for a church that prays. I really thank you for Amokyo Methodist Church. I thank you that you have given us this opportunity to serve you, to come together, to pray together, to unite together. I just pray, dear Lord, that we continue to encourage one another to correct that tarnished image within us. Let's continue to do so and help one another, to encourage one another. And only through the Holy Spirit can all this take place. So may you continue to live as us, live in us, and lift us up. So that, Lord, that we can recognize you as our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.